0: before we begin. Father, we do come this morning and need you to guide us in the truth. Your your word is the truth and we are told that by your word we are sanctified and we are made more uh, pleasing to you. We are made more useful to you. And so we pray that this morning you would sanctify us through the truth of your word, that your spirit that is within us would guide us. Father, for those who have not the spirit, who have not come to know you as the Savior of the world and of their soul, then we pray that this may be the day that their eyes would be open, that you would call them from darkness into light for each of us as we hear, may we be given the the, the wherewithal to focus, to lay aside distractions, to set aside our own uh, understandings of this, and and really, just hear from the Spirit what you say, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. On chapter eleven, we were reading. We've been going through this, as you know, and we want to make the connections between all of the different passages that we read. Um, and really, we could have taken this into three different sections, but this week we'll do a bit of a of an overview. I told the folks on Wednesday night we're going to try to gain a little bit of altitude and fly by uh, Matthew at a little bit higher uh, distance and cover more each each week. So we're going to cover these 21 verses together. Back in chapter 11, we began to see opposition towards Jesus increase as we move closer to Calvary. Before then, there wasn't a whole lot of opposition recorded, but now as we've uh, entered chapter 11, we are seeing a, a growing uh, resentment to Christ, to Jesus, uh, for what he claims and and for who he is. This generation, as uh, Jesus called them back in chapter 11, has been both unresponsive and unrepentant to Jesus' message. This opposition began as a mild resistance, but quickly is increasing to overt hostility, as we read even there that they have decided that he must be killed. But at the end of chapter 11, despite the opposition and what we're we're noticing as we go through this is there's two big big uh, story storylines but two big things to pay attention to. There's increasing opposition, increasing rejection, and at the same time there is a steady constant message from Christ. Jesus invites those who are like little children, who are weary and heavy laden from the burdens of an unbearable religion and from its demands. He invites them to come to Him and find rest. This is, Jesus, as we looked at last Sunday, this is speaking of uh, finding salvation in Jesus alone and receiving rest from the never-ending burden of trying to fulfill the legalistic demands of the religious leaders. We talk about that word a little bit this this morning, and and I want to make sure you understand what I mean by that. By legalism or legalistic demands. We're talking about trying to obtain or maintain God's favor by keeping the law. That's really what the Pharisees were, were teaching and, and trying to do, and we'll see that a little bit more. Legalism is a works based salvation, it controls through fear, it promises a version of rest uh, to those who will continually perform. And conform to the standard, but as those who have tried it will attest it, they never really find real rest and what we find in chapter twelve is a perfect example of this. And jesus knows this, and jesus uh, will in matthew is 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 laying this out for us as we finished in chapter eleven, speaking of rest, speaking of the yoke of Christ versus the implied yoke of the of the, the the Pharisees that they would place on them. And we see an example of what it looks like to be under the wrong yoke. In chapter 12, Matthew continues to document this growing opposition towards Jesus from the religious leadership, and he provides Jesus's various responses to it as we, we cover uh, the theme of the Sabbath in these 21 verses. And then in the next section, We'll see that there is a, a theme of, uh, his authority being attacked. He's doing things by, uh, by the power of Satan rather than the power of God. And then we, Matthew includes Jesus' responses to each of these things with some included teaching and, and very helpful, uh, helpful uh, words for us. So we'll, we'll see that as we move through the chapter there. And as Matthew begins chapter 12 in our, in our passage this morning, he takes the theme of rest back from chapter 11, and shows us how legalism cannot provide rest, yet it opposes and resents the rest that Jesus does provide. So we're talking about rest still, as as you'll see as we get through it. And we see the two different perspectives of it. Jesus comes and offers real rest, and these legalistic uh, religious leaders come in, and not only do they resent the rest that Jesus offers, resent the way that He interprets the Scriptures, they oppose it. In chapter 12, we get a very clear picture of why these people are weary and heavy laden. As we finish up chapter 11, under the yoke of a man-made religion, we find that there is condemnation for the guiltless, there is no rest for the weary, There's no compassion for those in need. And there's no hope for salvation. But, then Matthew describes how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan. As we get into this uh, uh, fulfilling uh, Isaiah's prophecy here, and as Paul wrote in Romans, that Jesus does what the law couldn't do, and what legalism, or man's attempt to satisfy God, tries to do, but fails. Jesus is the compassionate suffering servant promised in Isaiah who came to accomplish for us what legalism demands from us but cannot produce in us. Let me say that again. Jesus is the compassionate suffering servant promised in Isaiah who came to accomplish for us what legalism demands from us But cannot produce in us. So as we begin verse number one, we see this story that takes place on the Sabbath day. This is a very important day in the life of the Jewish people. It was the seventh day. It was Saturday. And the Sabbath day or the observance of the Sabbath day goes all the way back to Moses and the Ten Commandments when God said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath day was an observance of, of, of rest for God's people. Uh, by remembering the Sabbath, they were remembering how God rested on the seventh day uh, after uh, his finishing His work of creation. You read about that in Genesis. You can read about that in Hebrews uh, 4 and 5. They looked forward to the promised rest that was to come. It was another aspect of their Sabbath rest was that they looked forward to a rest to come. The Sabbath was a blessing and a gift from God to His people. And God graciously gave them the Sabbath day as a day of rest after a long week of hard work. This was an expression of God's mercy. It's the whole idea of taking rest is God being merciful to them In you don't have to just keep working, keep going. You can take a break. You can find rest, physically find rest and it was meant to be enjoyed god did not give this as yet another thing that they had to figure out how to how they're going to do this but rather it was meant intended to be enjoyed but as we see as i'll read for you it had become more of a burden than a blessing the day of rest had become harder work than the other six days of actual work so look in verse number one at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus and his disciples here are passing through the fields on the Sabbath day, and the disciples were hungry. And The law permitted that those who were traveling through a field, and oftentimes they're their roads would cut right through or right alongside a, a, a grain field of some sort. And, and the law permitted them to take of the food, that uh, take of the grain or fruit, uh, of if they, as they were passing through, you can read about it in Deuteronomy 23. They were allowed, they couldn't carry a basket and harvest it, but you could take what you, what you needed for that little bit of time, and it was, and it was, it was one way that the community cared for each other. You're hungry, you're passing by my apple tree, you can grab an apple. You're hungry and you're passing through the wheat, or the corn, or the, or the, the grapes, or whatever it may be, you can take what you need as you, as you go along, but you can't, you know, Bring your donkey and your cart and start collecting from my harvest. This is what the disciples were doing. They began to pluck the grain and to eat it. When the Pharisees see this, they're indignant because they are in violation of Sabbath law. They came to Jesus and accused the disciples, and thus they were accusing Jesus because he was responsible for what his disciples did. So they're accusing them of violating the Sabbath day. And from a a Western culture, if you're reading this and you've never really read anything else about this uh, before, it it can be confusing. What's the big deal? Why are you so upset about these guys grabbing uh, grain as they're walking by and and eating it? I I wonder, I I asked on Wednesday night and only a few hands uh, showed, have you ever walked through grain? I want to see who's walked through a grain field and you've grabbed the grain and you've eaten it straight without doing it. Would you raise your hand? Not many more than on Wednesday night. Um, it's like I've walked through 7 Eleven and I've grabbed the donuts that are there, uh, but I've never done it in a grain field. This was a pretty common practice. And so if you're not used to the, or if you're not reading these uh, often and you're not familiar with the story, you may be thinking, well, they're upset because they're stealing. They're not stealing. They're not, they're doing what is within the law. The Pharisees are upset about something different. They're, doing, they're upset because of the, what the disciples are doing uh, in the practice of eating this grain. And to understand this, I'm going to try to explain it to you, but I want to give you a sense of just how burdensome and oppressive this uh, oral tradition of the law was. We're not talking about God's law uh, necessarily. We're talking about what was built upon God's law all of the extra rules and the traditions and the interpretations that the people were responsible for keeping God's law, but they were also held to whatever the priests and the rabbis and the Pharisees and anybody else who had a brain that wanted to say, you know what, we need to make sure that we don't break God's law and make sure that we we do this or don't do this, and now you're responsible for that. And over time, you can imagine, it just builds up and builds up, and it's very burdensome. It's helpful to get a sense not of what the Sabbath was intended to do, which is provide God's rest for people, but what the Sabbath had become over the years. As a matter of fact, the Bible does not say a whole lot about the particulars of the Sabbath day. It does say some things, but there were Jews who wanted to make sure that God's law, particularly the Sabbath law, was kept, so they began to add their interpretations to what God said. Then as you can imagine, that, that, that really begins to pile up. In fact, it was admitted by um by some of them that the rules for the Sabbath are like mountains hanging by a hair. For the scripture is scanty and the rules many. Can you imagine that visual of a giant mountain being held by the single hair? And that's what it's saying that the, the, the law is the hair. What God actually said is the hair, but then the man's interpretation has become so much more than that, and it's all based on this one hair-like rule from God. But they were responsible for keeping all of it, and this is what the Pharisees have a problem with. Let me show you some of the rules about the Sabbath to give you a sense of just how unrestful the Sabbath had become. John MacArthur uh, wrote, uh, because of the thousands of man-made restrictions regarding it, the Sabbath was more tiresome than the six days devoted to one's occupation. It was harder to rest than to earn a living. And in his commentary, uh, MacArthur describes a lot of these rules, and I thought I would just read some for you, just to give you a sense of just how uh, glad, you, as Todd said, glad that he was not alive during that time. Be glad that you were not alive during this time and uh, having to follow these types of rules. One law specified that the basic limit for travel on the Sabbath was 3,000 feet from one's house, but various exceptions were provided. If you placed some food within 3,000 feet of your house, you could go there to eat it, and because the food was considered an extension of the house, you could then go another 3,000 feet beyond the food. If a rope was placed across an adjoining street or alley, the building on the other side, as well as the alley between, could be considered part of your house. Under Sabbath regulations, a Jew could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig. But if an object weighed half that amount, he could carry it twice. Eating restrictions were among the most detailed and extensive. You could eat nothing larger than an olive. And even if you tasted half of an olive, found it to be rotten and spit it out, that half was considered to be eaten as far as the allowance was concerned. Throwing an object into the air with one hand and catching it with the other was prohibited. If the Sabbath overtook you, as you reached for some food, the food was to be dropped before drawing your arm back, lest you be guilty of carrying a burden. Baths could not be taken, for fear some of the water might spill onto the floor and wash it. Chairs could not be moved, because dragging them might make a furrow in the ground. And a woman was not to look in a mirror, lest she see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. You could carry enough ink to draw only two letters of the alphabet, and false teeth could not be worn because they exceeded the weight limit for burdens. And that's just part of the law. And can you imagine trying to keep up with that? I don't know that I could. I don't know that it would. And it was not what God intended for His people to have to come up with. So as you can see, man's regulations had made the Sabbath difficult to understand, let alone enjoy. In Matthew 12, the problem with what the disciples were doing was in this small technicality of the law. See, God had forbidden anybody to do work on the Sabbath. That was the the principle. That was the basic of it. Do not do work on the Sabbath. That included harvesting and processing grain. So imagine what the disciples are doing now and see how they're violating the Sabbath. As they walk through the fields they plucked the ears of corn. That's technically harvest. Then they would take it, if you've never done it before, which I never have, I'm trusting that all the resources I read are correct, you would take that that head of grain and you'd rub it in your hands to separate the, the actual meat from the, the, the extra stuff that you don't want to eat and that would be called threshing. Then they would either toss that into the air so that the wind would blow away the, the leftover stuff that they didn't want to eat and just leave the meat or they would blow it Away, blow away the extra stuff that they didn't want, that would be called winnowing. And so, in technical terms, the disciples were in violation of this rule. They were, the Pharisees were sticklers for the law. And so, as they see what these, these men are doing, I, I think about it in, in, in a way that I can understand it, like eating sunflower seeds. How many of you eat sunflower seeds? Does anybody eat the shell with the sunflower seed? That is, it, it hurts uh, when you swallow. It's like eating razor blades going down and scratching your throat up. But what do you do? You, you you stick it in your mouth and you bite the shell and you you have to train your tongue how to do it. and You get that seed out of there and and then you spit the shell out and then you eat the you know, eat the the seed. Well, all of that is. That's the that's the, the the harvesting, the you know, you pull it out of the bag, the, the the threshing, you separated it, and then the the winnowing, you spit the seed out, and they're saying you're violating the Sabbath. God said not to do that. But God didn't really say to do that. God said something different that the the over time the uh religious leadership had said not to do. And so to this accusation, Jesus responds with two old testament examples. Look there in verse number 3. The first one was about David. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presents, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. You can read about this in 1 Samuel 21. David was on the run from King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him. David and his men were, were uh, uh, running away. They were hiding and going from place to place under uh under dark, cover of darkness and and just you know running for their lives they had no food they were very hungry so david went to the priest and he asked for bread in the tabernacle and you can read about it david actually lies to the priest about why he's there but uh, he the, the priest gives him the food and jesus is pointing out there that the priest complied with david's request and gave him the bread and that the scriptures do not condemn david for doing this eating bread that was only supposed to be for the priest. And Jesus is kind of implying here that he, Jesus, is at least as special as David. In other words, he's saying, well, if David can do it, why can't I? If David can do it, why can't they? Then Jesus asked the Pharisees if they understood that by doing the work in the temple, the priests violated the Sabbath every single time. Look in verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Now, of course, the Pharisees had read this. He was asking this question knowing that they would say, well, oh, yeah, we've read that. But he's getting them to say, don't you remember that they, they violate the Sabbath because you're not supposed to do any work. But on the Sabbath day, the priests still did sacrifices. And sometimes they would do twice the amount of sacrifices that they would have done on any other day. And so if no one is supposed to work on that day, the priests did and yet nobody looked at them and said, well, they're violating the Sabbath. They're breaking God's laws. Because they knew that the priests had to do their work. The priests got an excuse from this ritual or from this uh, 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 practice because their temple work was more important and it was greater than the Sabbath law. And nobody, Jesus is not saying anything to them that they didn't agree with yet. They agree with that. Yes, the priests get a pass because they're priests and the temple work, what they do is more important. Now, working out in the grain, in the grain fields and working in the, in the vineyards, that is not more important than the Sabbath law. You take a rest on the Sabbath day. But if you're a priest and you work in the temple, that supersedes the Sabbath law and they get a pass. In other words, the temple is greater than the Sabbath. And that's why Jesus sets it up perfectly when he goes into verse number 6 and he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now that something is actually a someone, and it is Jesus, the Messiah. Since the work of the priests in the temple overrode the Sabbath restrictions, then whatever is greater than the temple is by virtue greater than the Sabbath. That greater something can also override and make exceptions to the Sabbath restrictions, especially when we're talking about man's restrictions, not God's. And Jesus declares that if the Pharisees had understood these Scriptures and the heart and mind of God, then they wouldn't be standing in condemnation of innocent men. Look in verse number 7. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And really what we find in this verse is that if they had understand understood this verse, then this story would not have even made it into the Scriptures. Because the reason we have this story is to see how far the Pharisees had taken it, and if they had understood what the Scriptures actually said, there, there, there wouldn't be a problem here. We would have had Jesus and the disciples were walking, they ate grain. The end. And nobody had a problem with it. But because the Pharisees did not understand what is a reference back to Hosea 6, they didn't understand it, we have our story and the reason for our message today. Hosea was writing to a generation of people in Hosea 6.6. 6. He was writing to a generation of people who had developed a ritualistic attitude towards worship. You can read through Hosea very quickly and see that their heart was not in worship. They, they simply went through the motions and thought that that was good enough. And Jesus is linking the Pharisees of His day to Israel and the hypocrisy of Hosea's day. They were more focused on the outward behavior than on the inward attitude of the heart. They were practicing religion insincerely and had perverted the worship of God. Now, if the Pharisees didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said something is greater than the temple, they surely are going to get it when he says it in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man is, is a Messianic title. It's one of Jesus' favorite titles to use regarding himself. And it goes back to uh something that Daniel had written about and uh and talking about uh the 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 messianic uh prophecies and things. And so Jesus is, is basically saying to them, I have authority over the Sabbath. I, as the Son of Man, have authority over the Sabbath. Just as the priests' temple work overrode Sabbath restrictions the Lord of the Sabbath had authority to give the interpretation of how the Sabbath was supposed to be observed. But the Pharisees didn't get that because they didn't realize that God is interested more in mercy and compassion than sacrifice. That's what he means there when he says, if you had known what this means. They missed the intention and significance of God's law. And it's evident... By the mountains of rules and regulations that they built up and observed, while condemning those who did not operate within their system. So when Jesus claimed authority over the Sabbath and their religious structure, not over not he's not he's not uh, putting himself at odds with the law. He's putting himself at odds with their interpretation of the law. And when he did that, they did not like that at all. Matthew continues in verse 9 with another Sabbath-related incident. And just for, for your edification, if you read about it in Luke, he tells us this happened on another Sabbath. So Matthew, the way Matthew records it, he's he's linking these stories together, but this is not something that happened uh, within the next few minutes. But Luke tells us it happened on another Sabbath. Jesus entered the synagogue where he found that there was a man there with a withered hand. And Pharisees decided to use this man's suffering to build a case against Jesus. If you look in verse 10, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? They were considering a healing to be a form of work, which again would be in violation of God's Sabbath laws. Jesus is unfazed and he basically asked them, what's more important, guys, a sheep or a man? Look in verse number 11. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Notice, they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. Any one of them would have found some loophole, some way to rescue his sheep from a pit. If any of them would have had a sheep fallen into a pit, he's, he's saying none of you would leave it till tomorrow. You would all find a way to get that sheep out of the pit. And so then Jesus is saying then, if you would do it for your sheep, why wouldn't you do it for a person? If you'd help your sheep even though it's on the Sabbath, then why wouldn't you think it's okay to help a man on the Sabbath? therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There's no Sabbath restriction for doing good to another person. And Jesus healed the man there. Notice Jesus didn't actually do anything, right? He just said, shut your hand out. The man is doing the work. He's stretching his hand out. Jesus is just standing there. But the Pharisees recognize that Jesus some—he has something to do with this healing, and this man is, is completely healed. And Jesus has claimed authority over their religious structure. He interprets the law differently than they did, and He's exposed their hypocrisy and the error of their ways. He points out here that the Sabbath is not for fault-finding, but for doing good. Instead of repenting of their sin, these Pharisees begin to find a way to destroy Him. They needed to get rid of Him. And Jesus knows that, as we, we, we read that, Jesus knows that this is what's happening. In verse fifteen, he he leaves the place, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. And here, Matthew is seeing the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of a suffering servant of Yahweh. Isaiah had seen that Messiah would one day present himself as the suffering servant of God, and we we see that in his description of uh, talking about Isaiah's description of Isaiah fifty three. If most of us are familiar with that. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. And it goes on, and he's talking about how the servant of God is despised by men, but he's the servant of the Lord. And here, uh, Isaiah, or, sorry, here Matthew is referring to Isaiah 42. You can read through that. You can see all the, the similarities there. Isaiah 42, one through four. Though Messiah is rejected by men, in verse 18 of Matthew, we see that He is not rejected by God. In fact, He is accepted by God. He is God's chosen servant. He is beloved by God. He is well-pleasing to the Lord. These are words reminiscent of Jesus' baptism, right? When Jesus came out of the water, what do we hear? The voice from heaven, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well-pleased. The Lord God has put His Spirit upon His servant who will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Literally, it means to the nations. This servant, in verse 19, is gentle. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He's compassionate. Verse 20 says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And then in verse 21, we see that in His name, the Gentiles will hope. Now what does this have to do with the Sabbath? As I read through this, and, 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 and often this week I was tempted to, to cut this off and, and treat it as something separate, but I, I kept thinking that there must be some connection here. We're talking about two Sabbath incidents, and then all of a sudden we have this story about the Son of Man, and Matthew often finds what Jesus does as fulfillment of uh, some Messianic prophecy. And and I kept asking myself, why is Matthew including this prophecy with these stories about Jesus and the Pharisees' interpretation of the Sabbath? And I I come to the conclusion, I see this as Matthew's reminder, not just to the Jews, who are going to read his his gospel account, but also to the Gentiles of what Jesus promised in chapter 11. It's all connected that Jesus offered rest to the weary and to the heavy laden. And those who come to Him, who take His yoke, who learn from Him and follow Him, find the rest that the current Jewish religious system tried to offer, but failed to provide. In fact, all man-made religion seeks to offer rest and access to God. We can't do it. We won't get into a study of all the major world religions, but if you ever look at them, you find you can boil it down to, here's what you can do to please God. Whether or not that God is the same God we're thinking of, or some other God, it's all about pleasing God and finding happiness, finding rest, finding joy in this life or in another. But as I said at the beginning, Matthew is pointing to Jesus as the compassionate suffering servant. And Jesus, as the suffering servant, came to accomplish for us what legalistic, man-made religion demands from us that cannot produce in us. And we still see this legalistic, performance-based behavior today. Just like it was there. And we don't, it's not treated about the Sabbath maybe, but it's, it still pops up in other areas of our lives. In fact, we see it among a lot of religious people. We see it among Christians sometimes. We struggle with this same kind of mindset as the Pharisees. If we're not careful, we make Christianity all about rules, regulations, requirements, rituals. Just like the Pharisees did with the law. We become more concerned in what man says than what God says. We become more more concerned with what man says about what God says then what God actually said, than what God says about what God says. I sense that sometimes in my own life. I want to find out something about a specific topic, and instead of looking to the Bible, I look to some book and find out, well, what does this guy have to say about this particular aspect of theology or Christianity? And I and, and, and have to be reminded, uh, what, there was a book written about this. It's called The Bible. And the only reason that this other guy's book is any good is because he based it out of the Bible. So why not just go to the source that he used? I'm not against reading other books. I love to read other people's books. As I was listening to something this this week, and it says that they articulate what I already believe. That's that's the point of reading these other books is to help me articulate the things that I'm I'm trying to figure out how to say. I get what I believe from the Word of God, and then I look in a book and it says, oh yeah, okay, that's because I, have you ever tried to explain something that you believe to someone, and they're like, do you even know what you're talking about? I do, I just can't figure out how to say it. And I read someone else's book, and oh yeah, that's how they say it. But I don't base my my Christianity off of, off of a book, except for unless we're talking about the Bible. I don't base what I believe, oh well, so-and-so. I talked to a, a family years and years ago, and they asked me, like, why do you guys do this? and i and i and i gave the explanation and i and they said you know we asked other people and they, they we asked them the same question and they said uh, well because pastor teaches this that's why you believe it because the pastor teaches it it sounds good until you realize the pastor's a man and he can be wrong and sometimes he is wrong and he admits it that he's wrong so if you're basing it on another person very dangerous ground but that's what the pharisees were doing And if we're not careful, we too can forsake things like mercy and compassion, just like the Pharisees did. They didn't care about the withered hand of the man. They didn't care about helping him. They cared more about finding fault in Jesus on a Sabbath day, letting the man wait another day, letting the man go on in his problems so that they could catch Jesus doing something that they thought was not right. Right. And sometimes we're like that. We're so focused on keeping the rules and the regulations and we miss all the opportunities to do good, to show mercy and compassion. We can build these big walls and fences around what God actually says. And it's intended to keep us in God's favor. If this is what God said, then I'm going to build a wall around myself, to not let myself stray from this. But what it does sometimes is that it, it blocks us off from the people that we're supposed to be ministering to. It actually keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, like helping people, showing compassion, mercy, extending grace. You ever find any examples of grace extended from the Pharisees? But can you think of a people more dedicated to following the rules than the Pharisees? I'm not saying it's wrong to follow rules. But when it keeps you from extending grace, you've got something wrong. Like the Pharisees, we can get so focused on keeping the rules of religion that we fail to do what is good and see how it binds us and weighs us down. That's what Jesus came to free us from. That's what Jesus came to do. The Pharisees thought that they were going to earn God's favor by keeping the law. If you ask, asked, why did the Pharisees observe the Sabbath? Why did they? Based on this story, it was not to rest. It was not to reflect on God's finished work. And it was certainly not to enjoy God's blessings and to share them with other people. They observed the Sabbath because they thought that they needed to. To perfectly keep God's laws. They believed that God required perfection, holiness, and perfect obedience. And the truth is, God does require perfection and holiness, perfect obedience. But man can't do that. Man does not measure up to God's requirement. And so the suffering servant came. And he did measure up. He was holy. He is holy. He was the perfect uh, example, the perfect man. He was perfectly obedient to the Father's will. And He is gentle and meek and lowly. He extends mercy to the bruised and the beaten down. He gives compassion to those who are flickering and fading away. And He promises rest. For those who come to him and hope to all who trust in his name. It's because Jesus is the Son of Man, the one greater than the temple, the Lord of the Sabbath, that he and only he can provide rest for the weary and help for the needy and hope for the nations.